Well, welcome back to the Filmographies podcast. I'm very happy to be joined today by Ling Tran and David Foy, uh, the co-writer, director, and cinematographer uh, of Waiting for the Light to Change, a really fantastic micro-budget independent film uh, that is coming out later this year. Uh, but yeah, if I could just start uh, asking a bit about yourselves, kind of your general uh, spark notes, how you got into film, how you got up to the production of this film. Uh, we'll just love to hear a bit about both your backgrounds, if you don't mind. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Um, a little bit about me. I don't know. Uh, I was I'm Vietnamese. I was born and raised in Vietnam and like didn't really grow up with film or anything like that. It, I would say I had like a bit of a, I'm like a late bloomer, like you might say, because uh, growing up, my parents like really didn't want me to watch movies because they think they thought movies like taught you a lot of like things that that they didn't want me to know, like violence, sex, you know, being in relationships early, things like that. They didn't really approve. And uh, nobody in my family um, is in the arts. So it was definitely a strange path coming to this point. Uh, I when I came to the States in 2013 for college. And at the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do and just stumbled into like an acting class and then you know a lot of stuff follow work in theater a little bit really love the story storytelling aspect of it but I couldn't really like jive with the theater crowd so I decided to do something else that is like still like storytelling and and I started taking film classes so I graduated college with a bachelor degree in film studies um, I'm I'm a little bit of a nerd. I started watching movies like really late. Like I I don't think I started watching movies like until like 2016, and then I just crammed as much as possible to catch up with my peers. And there's like a, I think there's an advantage to that. I think because like you kind of get to reflect on things like like a lot it's like you watch like for example you watch a director's filmography back to back to back and then you see like how they grow up and 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 become who they are today and and you can uh you can compare and contrast like their style now versus their style when they just debut that that was fun just like cramming as much movies as I can um letterbox definitely very useful for that and then after I graduated college I went straight to film school I went to DePaul and that's where I met David and started making short films and waiting for the last change was the last thing I made at DePaul before graduation so it's not too long ago I graduated in 2021 so I'm definitely a still like a a new filmmaker a baby yeah <laughs> absolutely <clears throat> excuse me you're off to an amazing start I uh, have to say I'm curious how far you got into acting before you started to realize that was not the side of the camera you were more interested in were you like in any films or any theater productions or was it just the classes I was in a couple productions I was in an acting class and you know with acting classes you have to do like plays and like scenes in class and that's your exam, right? And then I was in voice and movement. So did a little bit of that as well. 
auditioned a bunch in college, was in a couple of theater productions, um, auditioned a bunch and didn't get the roles. And I like acting on stage, but I try recently to act again, uh, but screen acting, definitely not for me. Maybe like being a director was hindering that a little bit, I think. Definitely very different skills. And I have like mad respect for actors, especially screen actors, because I know it's not easy like doing thing, doing something again and again and again. Um, but I I say I'm still a performer. I'm just not a professional actor. And and the things that I learned in school, um, in theater, definitely helped me like in working with actors and like crafting performances and or even like getting actors to be comfortable in front of the camera and and you know like acquiring their trust and things like that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a really helpful thing to have that experience and that respect for actors of knowing how hard it is and the repetition and everything that goes into it. Uh, it kind of puts you on a more similar level of them as opposed to just going, oh, you're you're an actor, just <laughs> act. Uh, you know that there's a lot more behind it, but that's awesome. And uh, yeah, David, how about you? How'd you get to uh, Winning for the Light to Change? Yeah, so um, I mean, when I was in, uh, in high school, uh, being, being a part of film is always something that I've wanted to do. I've loved, I was one of those kids that just like loved going to the movies and loved seeing like anything and everything that was being made. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't think anyone in high school really knows what they want to do. But um, when I was 15, I like found myself in a film studies class. Um, and I forget exactly what we were watching. I think it was like Psycho. Um, and then I was like, yeah, like, I really want to be a writer. And then I realized that when you're, <clears throat> so then I tried to do that. And then I realized that when you're 15, you have nothing to say really about anything. Um, and then kind of left that behind and then started getting more interested in, in the camera side of things and being behind the camera. Um, and of course, like I, my film knowledge at that point was only the films that I liked and the films that I didn't like. So I didn't really know what a what a cinematographer, or a director of photography did. Um, <clears throat> so I just kind of started like researching, you know, like what they what they do and um, the things that they're in control of and like what their influence is on on the film. And uh, I was fortunate enough and lucky enough to uh, have a friend in high school that became my creative partner um, from back home and we started making these little films together in high school that, uh, you know, no one's ever going to see, but, um, you know, where it was a lot of fun and it was a really great learning experience to kind of, you know, ju jump into things um, that young, you know, I think you can kind of uh, go past all of the, you can use your, your uh, naivete to like your advantage, you know, um, because I wasn't thinking about, uh, you know, <clears throat> how perfect is this lighting? Like, what is the exact scene, you know? So I sort of just started shooting and figuring out what I liked and what I didn't like. And, you know, you only have so many resources at that point. And that's true up until this day. And then relocated here to Chicago in 2016, went to film school um, 
and yeah, met Ling. We actually met like a long time ago, maybe like five or so years ago, four or five years ago. And it wasn't until the winter of 2020 um, that she asked me to um, shoot a, a feature film. I was part of DePaul's indie studio um, uh, program. And it wasn't even this film. This film was just a product of her asking me to shoot something else. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got to it. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, but I've always been a lover of like a film and like being a part of film. And, uh, I honestly could never really see myself doing anything else. So, yeah. That's amazing. Did you ever have a stopover in like directing from like writing to cinematography or was it pretty instant? I think I tried to direct like one thing and then I just realized that that wasn't for me. I don't think that I'm very good um with trying to get a performance out of an actor i think i'm a little bit better uh just like being there and seeing them and and them knowing that you know <clears throat> i'm in charge of the of the image making and that you know i'm kind of cinematographers have an interesting relationship i think with actors because we're always close to them but we're never actually telling them what to do um and and it's almost like uh a level of support just seeing that person there um, while they're performing. Um, because whenever we cut, it's almost like I'm the first person that they're seeing. Um, so yeah, it is interesting, but no, never directing. Directing was uh, too hard, I think. I can't, I, I, I'm like imagining David, like being a director right now is pretty scary. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. For me too, for me too. <laughs> Yeah, no, it takes a lot. I feel like, yeah, getting into film school, like starting out that early, there's probably a stopover point for a lot of people, or at least a starting point of, I want to be writer-director, yeah. I want to be yeah. Chris Nolan, Paul Thomas Anderson, like that kind yeah. of thing uh, when you're starting out. But... I think that was, I, I think that was the thing is I went in, into film school and I was like, I like want to be a DP, like I, yeah. that, this is what I want to do. And that led me to get a BFA. So like concentrated in cinematography and not, you know, just a general BA. Um, but yeah you yeah. know you know for the longest time i heard from people in school that david is the best producer <laughs> ever get at school and i try to get him to produce myself all the time and he would never <laughs> that that is true i i had a quick um maybe there was like maybe a two-year period um in college where i was uh producing things that you know but I didn't really enjoy doing it I think people just thought that I was good at it um but mostly because I would just like kind of get things done and, and and bend the rules as much as I could and I think that's kind of what made people come to me for things but uh Ling hit me at a certain point I think for trying to produce something where I was just like, I'm not really producing anything anymore. So, mm -hmm. um, because I don't enjoy it, you know, it's never what I wanted to do. I actually fell into producing in college because uh, no one would produce something that I was shooting. Um, so I was just like, you know, whatever, I'll do it, you know, and, and just try to get it done. That was the worst decision uh, ever because trying to shoot something and be a producer is like, you know two steps forward five steps back you know that kind of thing so yeah yeah absolutely there's a big difference of like being a, a really dedicated producer versus someone who's just like willing to do it is a 
a big Absolutely. thing early yeah. on. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to yeah. hear more. I know you've talked about this a bit before, but uh, I just think the indie studio that you have at DePaul is such a amazing idea, and it kind of blows my mind that there's not more film schools that do that. Uh, so could you, could you talk about a bit about that process and how uh, this film uh, obviously like grew from another film, but how you kind of got started on this uh, from still being in school and being able to like pitch your film and all that? Um. So this was February. I, this Okay, so Indie Studio started when I started school at DePaul, but at first they didn't open this to grad students. I was an MFA student, but this program was for undergrad only. And there were like two projects before my year. And my year was the first year that they opened it to grad students. And the person who ran the um, the initiative was uh, is James Troy. And uh, James told me about this because he was my thesis chair. And um, so in the winter of 2019, they would send out like scripts for students to uh to pick and then they would like pitch a vision to so in order to become the director of indie studio you have to pitch against other teams of directors producer or other directors and uh or you can write your own script and pitch your script but I was lazy so I didn't have a script and so I picked one of the script which was a coming of age it's uh it's something that I didn't feel like 100% like it's not like an amazing script or something but I'm like oh okay I can work with this and I I want to change a little bit of like these characters to fit my kind of experience because I, I like to make movies about things that I know so I did a bunch of research for that project was working really hard with the writer and and then COVID um oh and then we we pitched the project not we, just me. I pitched the project and I won um the pitch. So so then after I won the pitch, like we started like having producers, DPs, just like recruiting the team to be in that class. So basically that initiative is a class that meets every week um to talk about like where we are in the process. And we were supposed to make it super quick, like in June of 2020, but we all know how what was happening in June of 2020. So that did not happen. And it the project just got pushed and pushed and pushed. And like this this script, it was a pretty big, like kind of indie project, you know. The there there's it's like a it's like a story of like this high school student. Um, and there are a lot of like extras involved in this project, had it been like shot. So that didn't happen. We pushed it again to August, then we pushed again to October, and then we just like, okay, let's let's face this fact. Like this is not the time to make this, and we can't make this with the same amount of resources from DePaul. Um, that would otherwise be like good to make a movie like this, not in COVID times. So so we and 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 also the writer wasn't open to idea of like changing the script so drastically to fit the times you know or the or the limited resources that we had at the time so we ended up not doing the script anymore and we decided to push the shoot back one last time to march of 2021 and come up with something new from you know like zero from nothing 
So that week, um, my my producer, one of my producers, Jake, he was like, my family has a lake house in Michigan. You guys want to like go and see what's up? Maybe we can write a movie for it. And we we had nothing to lose. We're like, okay, let's go. And I remember like driving there with my other producer, Jules. Um, there was like a blizzard when we were driving. I thought it was going to die like that night. It was so crazy. And then we got there. And we spent like a weekend there and Jake had brought his half brother and Jules had brought her friend, uh, her roommate, and I was there. So there were like five of us, like two guys and three girls, just like in the movie. And my producer, Jake, would like take us around to like see like the, this is the theater, guys. So this is like this is this is barn. Like it's really cool. It's in the middle of this like huge field. And in my head, I was like. The apartment uh the the house is is terrific and and I love this location we're gonna write something for this eh, this this location is fine I don't know we see we see if I can write something for it but basically now we had all these locations and just what is the story um that would be able to take place here and female friendship has always been like a thing that I'm very interested in. I was reading My Brilliant Friend by Elena Fronte at the time, I was watching Girls at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, everything just kind of clicked. Also, I had a best friend from college and for Thanksgiving of 20, yeah, of 2020, she bought me a flight ticket to go to New York to see her. And we all drove to this, Airbnb in Pennsylvania to like have Thanksgiving so I just like took a little bit of everything and then Jules and me and another writer we got together and we had these locations and we just wrote the script like super super quick um and we didn't know at the time if we were gonna get green lit at all by the end of it like we we saw no money from the school like but there's not when there is not a no yes you know it's still a yes to us so we uh we kept working on it too so the last week before we went out to Michigan that was when we got a green light from the school and that's when we saw the money the actual money and in this process too we we were writing and we were casting at the same time some cast member came from the previous project so the lead Jin Park she was going to be one of the sisters in the last project and then the rest of them, they're they're all new. They're all, they're all from you know like uh someone we need we know at the time or from backstage. We just found people, and we would write a draft and then have like some actors come in, do a table read, go back, do another draft, table read, draft, table read. We did that like six times, and by the time we were in um but by the time we were in Michigan I was like uh, I don't feel like like we're like the script is where it needs to be so why don't we do this so we did a last table read and I was like okay you guys give me the script you're not gonna learn these lies let's we, we're gonna do we're gonna do some improv during rehearsal so that's what we did and um I'm very grateful for that kind of process and and I think that's what I'm gonna do from now on
Yeah, super yeah. long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's it's really interesting. Uh, so was it something where you were like prepared to make the film, kind of no matter uh, whether or not like the entire budget came in? Like you said, it was like up until a week till you were supposed to start shooting. Uh, or was it just you're kind of still hoping and uh, waiting for the uh, money from the school? Um, I mean, we. I mean, there, there's not, there's not like the school wasn't like, no, you can't do this. And the, all the paperwork and everything is being processed We're very slowly, you know, and, and, and since we haven't seen the money yet, you know, it's, it's still, it's still not our money to make the movie. So we just, uh, but, but we, we kept hearing like, it's going to get approved soon. So we just hope, you know, finger crossed and, and then it happened. It it felt like a miracle. I'm telling you, this was 2020, 2021, yeah. pre pre vaccine. Yeah, no, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, David, what was it like from your perspective? Because you were attached to the original script, and then you were uh, like, what were you doing during this time period? Were you just along for the ride, or uh, what was on your mind? Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> basically like it felt like we went into prep for. I mean, we were prepping for sure for the the first film. Um, and it, it just didn't feel right the whole time. Like we, we even like went and looked at a few locations for the house that would be in that film. And like, just even then it felt like kind of weird and like not safe. And I don't know, everyone was kind of weird. Um, and, <clears throat> and so then it just ended basically. Uh, and, and I was like, okay, well, uh, I don't really know what to do now, I guess. And also like trying to work in, <clears throat> in the city during that time was pretty, pretty difficult. So I, um, I remember that uh, it ended, I don't exactly remember when, um, and Ling was like, you know, we're going to figure something else out to do. I was like, okay. So then I, then I went back home to Hawaii and like kind of tried to find work there and uh, tried to keep, you know, just do my best to keep creating there with my, um, my creative partner and uh, kind of just waited out to see, you know, cause obviously you're having a whole bunch of thoughts at that point in time um, as these things go. And like, uh, I don't know, it may happen. It may not happen. People kept asking me if it was going to happen. I was like, I have no idea. So just tried to do my best to, to wade in the water. And, um, and then, yeah, got the call from Ling and she was like, we have a script and it's looking like we're going to get greenlit. And I was like, okay, well, great. You know? <laughs> so, and then, and then we did get greenlit and then we got to prep for three months and then we went into production. It was, it was really, really slow until that moment, basically. Um, and you know, even even early when we were still waiting to get greenlit, I was like, wow, like we're prepping for something that could just not ever materialize, you know, that would be another bummer. And it would be the third failed project that Ling and I would have tried to do, um, which would have been, yeah, another bummer. But thankfully, this one worked out and um, the experience was, you know, probably like nothing I'll ever experience again. Um, just being able to um, be up there and like live in in that situation, even though it was way less than ideal, um, it was still it still like kept us all like true to what we were doing. I feel like, and um, 
and yeah, it was it was really special, I think. Yeah, I, I would say this is like a situation where it's like everything feels like it was meant to be, you know, because yeah. we were all students. And now that I think about it, you know, like not a single person that has read the script, that read the script before production would say like, oh, it's a decent script. It's a good script. No, nobody said it was a good script. I, I didn't think it was a good script either, you know, but... <laughs> And, and I remember, I remember why... us having this conversation. I remember us having this conversation. You're like, "What do you think of the script?" And I was like, "It's okay, you know, <laughs> it's fine." <laughs> and then I, I don't know. I was just really eager to work with you, so I was like, "Okay, let's let's you know," because I it's it's all about trust, right? And if you're willing to like follow the train, you, you know, know that that is going to materialize into something that is going to be you know kind of special. And, you know, to add to the anxiety, I'd also like delayed a credit to graduate that I'd been holding on to for like a year at that point. And I was like, holy crap, like I still have to graduate. <laughs> like, and that's what this is supposed to be. <laughs> same, same. I, I think I now that now thinking back to it, like all these people working on this project, it, I don't know what they were thinking. Like they agreed to do this. <laughs> like did they read the script <laughs> i know the script I'm, I'm telling you like now when people are like we want to read the script or like what was the script i'm like nope you're not reading the script <laughs> it's very different it is yeah. different yeah yeah because it was something i thought the script uh from just watching the film at least like the structure i mean obviously the dialogue and everything is very natural and uh feels very specific and personal but like the structure i really loved of it being like a true slice of life in that it starts and ends uh within that framework of the uh days that they spent up there and it's not like i was curious if you ever thought about making it like a thanksgiving or a friendsgiving thanksgiving situation like you would actually attend it, or was it always in your mind kind of like it's just these random days these friends go up to this cabin together uh because i i think it's one of the strengths of the movie uh is that you do end it without resolving everything you pick up on the characters and uh, the relationships as you go but uh what i guess was the structure similar uh which did you ever consider having a more uh for uh a, a more traditional structure um you know i'm a big fan of romare movies and uh i was telling my friends today that uh i'm sick today I want to watch some movies. I might rewatch um, La Collection News by Romare. And you know, like how he makes a lot of vacation movies and like in, there are like uh, these white um, screens with like the date, like at the beginning of each sequences. That was what we were trying to do. We we're like, okay, so we have seven days. It's, it's also because it was we were trying to write a script really fast. So it was like, okay, let's put these characters in a, like this limited period of time and at this place where they don't, they are not usually there. And what do they do? Okay, so like, oh, we have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. So on Monday, what do they do? So before we had inner titles um, where the blacks are right now for the dates, uh, but then we decided to take that out. So it definitely wasn't really like a like traditional structure, but we definitely know uh, we knew where we wanted to start and where we wanted it to end. And I can't tell you enough how many times I've gone on these 
trips with friends where like just like three days before we were supposed to like this band was just like I don't want to be here anymore I will never see these people ever again you know um uh maybe I shouldn't have said that because maybe some of these friends will listen to this but <laughs> you know I feel like we all have been in these situations and um I mean I it's so because of that I wanted to keep it like real time and keep it real life so that it rings true to like more people um instead of having like a too dramatic of an arc even though I think there is an arc there for each of these characters uh the character arc the relationship arc I think they're all there they're just a little bit subtler and and practice in kind of like a Romare-esque like vibe yeah yeah no I love Romare also yeah he's come up a few times uh in some of these other chats I've done just yeah really inspirational for uh not having a ton of money or a huge crew uh, and being able to make these really kind of complicated yet simple stories, really complicated relationships, sim simpler narratives without them being uh, too straightforward. But uh, I'm curious, but the first project you were originally doing together, uh, the first version of this film that was greenlit, uh, did the visual style that you both talked about, uh, did that change a lot from that film to what ended up being uh, waiting for the light to change uh, or is it uh, like what yeah what were some of the reference points you were talking about there too I let David answer that <laughs> <laughs> do, do you mean with the um like the first film that we were going to do and then it kind of failed yeah uh, the one that like got uh, uh, canceled uh, or the one that kind of like fell through because of COVID yeah um, you know it's strange because I don't think we actually got that far like in into the pre-production process of talking about um how film would turn out looking and feeling and like what the visual language of of that film would have been um if i had to guess now it probably would have been you know semi-similar but like definitely not the same as something like this um so yeah i i remember but then you know going into this this <clears throat> I remember you know shot listing and kind of finishing the shot list you know obviously in this truncated pre-production period and being like mm, there's not a lot on here like I feel like I feel like that's maybe a bad thing but I'm not really sure if it's a bad thing um and then it got even more clear to me like once I uh got up there because I went up there I think like four or five days before the actors got there and then I was there for the whole week that the actors were rehearsing which is a dream um <clears throat> and then once we got into the locations and everything uh it, it became even more clear that we like didn't need a whole lot you know it was sort of a th this piece was always going to be um much more of a performative thing and the camera was always going to be a lot more objective and a lot more um observing what whatever the actors were doing especially because it's kind of difficult to work out um and i'm gonna say coverage because uh i, I feel like <clears throat> that's the the word that gets tossed around even though that that's a dirty dirty bad word um uh i think it's it's kind of difficult to plan for stuff for stuff like that if you don't actually know how the scene is gonna you know happen and um we didn't know that until 
until a lot of the, these Im improvisational moments were worked out. Um, so we kind of just, you know, we went in with a plan and for the most part, I think we really stuck to it. Um, but uh, yeah, that was the, that was kind of the whole, the whole thing. But yes, that, that movie way back then would have looked way different, I think. Well, I, to be honest, like, it's really hard to, so I think, I think we like shot list, like, like maybe like 10 scenes from that project because, and then we were like, okay, you know what? Let's not do this right now because we don't have location. <laughs> we didn't have location. So yeah. I, 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 I'm, I mean, to me, like locations, everything, it would dictate how, how a scene is going to be covered and, um, and and we didn't have any location, so I couldn't imagine it. And also, but wait, but I remember making a mood board for it and referencing yeah. Elephants by Gus Van Sant. Yeah, yeah, which was which was strange in itself, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but I I will say like like waiting I think is the first time that I've ever taken shots off a shot list, um, to to not do. I don't think I've ever done that before. Um, and it was weird because you, you know, at least as a DP, like you want to, you want to make sure that you have what you need, right. For your director to be satisfied and to cut their scene. And, you know, I don't think I've ever, I just don't think I've ever worked with anyone who is just like, yeah, this is, this is what it is. It's this shot. That's it. Like, and we're, and we're happy with it, you know? Um, so I, that's just, is part of the unique experience that was this film. Yeah. I mean, the visual style is so, uh, like specific and it feels so confident and like how little coverage you have. I like that you say that cause I was used to, I, my favorite saying is coverage is for cowards. Uh, if you like, don't know what you're doing, but, uh, yeah. it's yeah. So, uh, I guess you have to like more films, obviously Romare was an influence the cuts to blacks and long shots covering scenes in one uh from one perspective is uh feels like stranger than paradise uh a bit um I'd, i've heard you ling in men other interviews mention hong sang su who's another favorite uh who's just yeah brilliant uh and how little he cuts and uses uh different coverages and angles uh so what were there any other like reference points uh that really kind of stood out to you throughout this process both in pre-production and actual production uh and is your was it something where your uh similar tastes or similar uh backgrounds in film kind of brought you together uh, for this project and made it feel like a really uh strong fit between you two uh to me i think i've stopped using like movies as references and 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 then I use them to just like let let my collaborators know what's in my head. But when I do, when I do stuff like, it's I always run into the problem where I'm like, you know what, it's it's I think this, but like it's not really that. Like you know, it's it's I can't really tell you what it is because I don't think it's like it's it's not that. It's you might think it's that, but it's it's not really not. So I I stop referencing um movies and I started referencing a lot more paintings and photography to bring like bring out the the characteristics of you know textures and and lighting and <clears> color <throat> and 
and and just feelings you know I I always like say things like super vague like I want to feel like it's raining outside and we're drinking like hot tea in front of the fireplace or something like I say that a lot and like if you don't get that then maybe we're not a good fit to work together you know and and David David like can finish my sentences like I I say half a sentence and David no and David's like got it so (laughs) it's probably (laughs) on set um but yeah Stranger Than Paradise and and the Green Ray was like the movies that we watched a lot before um before getting into production just because I wanted that I like the thing about Stranger Than Paradise is every scene is covered in one shot that is, it could be long, it could be short, but like, just like preserving that, you know, real time, that does really, really important to me. Um, I was, this goes way back to when I was, uh, was about to make my thesis film at DePaul, which was a short film. I had this teacher and I was, we were doing storyboard and I brought my storyboard to him and he was like, what is this? Why there's so many, why there's, why there's so many cuts? You're cutting for TV, my friends. Limit yourself to three setups per scene top. And I take that with me and ran with it. And, and up to this day, I, I don't think I have a scene that more covering more than three shots, three setups. Yeah. Well, yeah. I and like on my end, uh, I'll say like another film that we referenced to was On the Beach Alone at Night, the Hong Sing Su, and I think I watched that Stranger Than Paradise, The Green Ray, and some other Romero films like I don't know five six times before doing this um, because I feel like those films and those filmmakers paired with what the script was at that time told me what I needed to know about it tonally. Um, it just like, those were, I feel like those were much more um, tone references than they were visual references. And then um, I forget who the exact artist was of the the paintings that we started referencing. But um, in terms of light and texture and everything that Ling was saying, it, it's much closer, I think, to being inspired by those, um, those specific, paintings than it is really anything else um and I will say like just having you know just having worked with Ling and been friends with her for years now has definitely um changed the way I think that I approach other projects also because um I approach them now with I think a lot more deliberation and intentionality in the way that we're shooting things because you know, if you look at some of my other work, it's it's really, um, it's a little chaotic, a little bit more chaotic, a little more like throw the camera into crazy situations. Um, but there's work that I've done post waiting that is a lot more um, calculated, I would say. And um, in, I don't want to say avoidance of coverage, but like in lieu of coverage, right? Like there, there has to be a, a reason now why we're shooting the way that we're shooting and the way that we're shooting certain things, because every single shot, every single setup that you do takes time out of your day, which means that you get to spend less time doing the things that like actually matter. Um, like getting these master shots and like getting the performances, right. You know, there were certain, <clears throat> there were certain shots and certain scenes for 
waiting that we spent six hours doing, you know, because we needed that much time to get the performances and I needed that much time to get the light that I needed and to get the, the, um, um, just the setup, right. And all that stuff. So, the the painter that uh, we were referencing was Andrew Wyeth, the mm. American painter. Yeah, and very American, very very you know romantic. It's a very soft light, and I still have his painting as my desktop nowadays. <laughs> yeah, he's a yeah great one. I can totally see that uh, with the yeah. visual uh, tone. Well, uh, I'm I wanted to note too. I think it's like a smaller thing that I've thought about a lot recently that makes certain frames seem a lot larger maybe the scale of a shot look a lot larger is actually using depth when provided uh, and you have a lot of really great moments of that like in the bre first breakfast scene uh, when the two guys go out to smoke and you can see them in the background uh, just like a lot of being able to see people uh, interacting with each other uh, when they're sitting on the beach and they're walking out uh, from the boathouse like there's all these great moments where you're using the entire frame uh, so how conscious of a choice was that? Like, where did that come up? Uh, was that like when you were actually up there blocking or was that kind of something you were always uh, focused on trying to capture? I think it's part of my philosophy because, um, I mean, I know people in film school shit on Susan Cain. I love Susan Cain and we had a <laughs> rosebud moment and I'm very happy about that. Uh, it's, it's well, because like, you know, like with slow cinema um when you have to look at something for so long i i feel like it's important to give the audience something to look at and and i have always preferred to you know watch movies with like depth in the frame and then you are free like you know free will you are free to look at it wherever you want and and there is a there's always a level of control that the filmmaker um can exert but but to me i <clears throat> i i really like kiarostami um when i was in film school and 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 the thing that he talks about you know the the film half made and you know you you make half the movie and then the audience comes in and bring the other half um i think that's that's really interesting and and that's something that i want it's like it's like democracy you know and 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 in order to have that, I think we have to have like certain amount of depth in the frame. Um, of course, when it uh, when when the occasion calls for like a shallow depth of field, then we can do it. We do it because there's, I think like there's always a correct answer to every shot, and um, and for some for this particular story, and for this particular vibe that we want to provoke. I think we need a little bit more depth. That's it. Yeah. So it was always like a conscious choice. Yeah. <clears throat> it was also a little bit of that thing of not only like efficiency when shooting and when storytelling, but also um, we're, we're not, uh, there. there is obviously, <clears throat> there is the bias, like once the camera is set up, but we're not specifically like Ling was saying, telling you what to look at, right? Like there's no, the, the camera is there, right? And you're, you're free to choose whatever part of the story you want to take in. Um, <clears throat> but it, it's almost like 
it's almost like when you leave the room and you know that the other people are still in there and they could maybe still be talking about you. Like that's just what the camera is basically. It just shows you that other side of things, I think. Um, at least that's how I was thinking about it the whole time. Like what, what would I want to be seeing if, <laughs> if I, maybe nothing at all, but uh, you know, yeah, it's there. Also, I think um, like depth and like seeing a lot kind of provides the opportunity for like interesting blocking. I really, really love like when there's like a dance happening, you know, the dance might just be you standing still, but you know, sometimes we do like some, some more interesting kind of intricate camera movements and, and we choreograph that with the, with the blocking of the actors in the scene. Uh, I'm a huge Brian De Palma fan. Uh, and I, I don't know if you've, uh watched that interview between him and Noah Bombach. But I I think like I well I also discovered Brian De Palma super late and went through his filmography just really like that was that was blowing my mind. And I wanted to focus on meaningful blocking that like tells you things about the characters. I, I feel like you know less dialogue, more visuals, use I, I, that's what film does best. So why not take advantage of that, you know? And and the the depth in the frame really, you definitely could play more with the blocking when you have like a wider frame than than you have a close up. Like there's very little you can do. So, but then the close ups when it comes, you know, when when comes the time for the close ups, like close ups, close up it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love uh both. Of two films filmmakers that I've spent a lot of time defending so I'm glad we're on the same page of Citizen Kane <laughs> is brilliant uh again in context and Brian De Palma is also a master uh so I'm very glad to hear that uh and it makes a lot of sense it's like all clicking now after uh having seen the film and having this discussion but uh yeah because I think one of the shots that really stood out to me uh I, I mean again like there's not like a wasted shot in there for me which is really impressive uh for such an early film uh by like a whole young crew but uh it's at the pancake dinner uh where you can see all the characters and no one's necessarily saying any dialogue that <laughs> matters to the story but like you can see just by who's looking at who who's talking to who it just like kind of you're like okay this is like where we're at visually i don't need to hear anything like this is really really great visual storytelling um so i mean it's just yeah amazing i'm yeah i'm very happy to hear brian de palma uh, but uh, <laughs> uh so and you talk about the close-ups because i think you set up uh by like early in the film i was trying to keep note i think like the first coverage the first time you like cut within a scene isn't until like 10 minutes or so in if i'm not mistaken uh to like a close-up or like a different angle on one scene um so you kind of set these rules for the audience of like what they're expecting and how do you go into breaking that rule? Uh, I think of like, obviously the close-ups uh, at the lighthouse. I don't know if that's the first time, but that's obviously a big moment uh, getting a close-up of each character uh, at a very emotional point in the story. And then the dolly shot in, in the bedroom uh, with the two characters uh, who are bonding and you're kind of learning more about their backstories. So what goes in for both of you uh, to making those decisions and when is it the right time Uh to change that language and change uh, kind of the rules and visual style you've set up so far. 
I think it is part of the rule. So uh, I I do have a I do have a metaphor. I I feel like this metaphor is so stupid, but like it works for me. So I I might as well just like share it with you. It's like I always think of like having scenes as like you're like a respectable like zoo goer, and you go to like you go to the zoo and you watch this like very dangerous animal. Uh, not to be disturbed. It's it is the scene. And you stay like pretty distant and like you 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 give you give the the scene the respect that it needs and you find the best spot. It has to be the best spot. It's like I, I once was um having this conversation with this filmmaker and he said, uh where you put the camera in the scene should be because every everywhere else is wrong. So you choose your spot, you observe this animal, and then you kind of like follow the emotional journey of this animal from that distance. But then once in a while, like the animal probably will do something that that will make you feel like you have to shift spot. Like you have to go to another spot to be able to watch that. Or there's something very engaging going on that you really wish that you can be a little bit closer. That's when you come closer. So that's how I, you know, like that's, that's the that's the global rule that I have for like my filmmaking in general, and like moments like the the bedroom scenes, like oh they're getting like pretty emotional and they're telling stories. It's engaging. We want to we want to see we want to be uh a little bit closer. And and mind you, I don't I don't know if these actually work. Uh, it's just like uh, the rules that I function by, and and same with like. Same with these close-up. I feel like at one point, you know, we we've been distant for long enough, and 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 there has been so much happening, and it is a point of the moment of truth where you need to see the truth in these eyes. Like that's that's when we go to the close-ups. I feel like, and um, and same with the confrontation at the end. It's like it's like a match. Like you, we haven't like really seen like that kind of a that kind of confrontation ever in the film until like that moment. So I feel like that was, um, that was part of the reason. The, the other reason for us to do shot reverse shot there was because we just didn't know how to do that scene differently, you know? So yeah, yeah. David, you have to ask, uh, to add? Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I think specifically with the, um, specifically with the, the bedroom scene, the first time with the three, uh, three women sitting there, um, I, I think it was just like another scene where we had written in, you know, kind of a, a little bit more conventional coverage for it because we thought that, you know, we would sort of need that stuff. And then I think we kind of approached it on the day of being like, is, does, is this right? Like, does this feel right? Does it feel right to actually cut at any of these moments? And the answer was no. So then that leads me to crawling on the ground and pushing a dolly in like at the slowest pace I think anyone has ever pushed a dolly. Um, but that's what felt right. You know, that that was the, I think that was the whole thing was like we, um, you know, you go in and you plan things and uh, you just determine whether or not it's correct for what you're doing when you're, when you're actually shooting it. And, um, and yeah, we had always talked about having this, just, you know, insane mushroom scene at the end. And I think at that point, 
even in pre-production, we knew that that was going to be the point where we earned our close-ups. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a little difficult for me to get on board with that before um, before we started shooting. But once we started shooting, it like kind of made sense because you start watching dailies and piecing things together in your in your head, and uh, and yeah, that's that's when the the buy-in for me really happened. But um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a very specific and very different type of filmmaking than um, I, I guess like what most American cinema is you know used to. Um, but yeah. I, I, the thing about it is like, I don't want to say that there wasn't um, a whole lot of thought that went into it, but it never felt like we were, um, I think the main thing was like, we never wanted to approach something and shoot it the way that we had thought about it, just to shoot it like that. We didn't, we just didn't want to force it. You know, we didn't have the time to force it and we didn't have the, the resources to force it, you know? So that was, that was how we carried our, you know, our approach to every scene. Honestly, I, I'd be lying if I say we didn't want, and not we, just me. I I definitely wanted to shock the audience a little bit with those close-ups. Like, because yeah. like, we've been further away for so long, I feel like they've earned something. And and I feel like if if, if we like keep this like super like distant the entire time, it wouldn't be as emotionally uh, visceral as if you like suddenly get like super close. Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of a gimmick. For sure, but but rightfully so, I think. Yeah, I think it's it's sounds like it's using a lot of instinct. Um, I think your analogy, Ling, is really uh really effective because I think it's one of those things like you hear like there's only like one right place to put a camera, and then that's just kind of an overwhelming thought of like, well, it, you could actually put it anywhere, but like it is what's right for the scene. Uh, so I mean, in, like those moments, like when you're on set deciding, like what's kind of going through both of your heads is it are you like drawing just like on gut instinct like this feels right for this moment the scene uh thinking back on like other films paintings you've seen that are kind of uh influencing those choices like how what is like a little bit more of that like decision process of getting to that point of feeling comfortable of like all right this is the right shot we're ready to go uh we're ready to start rolling on this i tell this story about the fire that we never had <laughs> Oh no! So, so there's like so in the movie, there's that um that like boathouse scene where they had a propane lamp that was supposed to be a be a, a an open fire like a like a bonfire on the beach, and DePaul was like, no fire, no fire, and our producers like one day I woke up and I was like walked into the kitchen and my producer was like, so Ling, we can't do fire. And I knew I was like, okay, I, I'm not gonna fight this because it's gonna be uh is this is I'm I'm gonna lose this fight. So I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> Delia, come come with me. We're gonna rewrite the scene. So we decided to put them in the boathouse and do the um, and had that mm. um that propane lamp. That propane lamp also was like something that the week before production, I I was looking around the house and I was like what is this can we use this and then they like bought uh propane for it and and we started using the lamp and like by that time we were like okay the the lamp was at the beginning of the movie i think it should come back so let's put it in here instead of the fire and david came to me the day before 
and was like, so we're shooting this, so we cover, we we're doing these shots, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I just like walked away because like I knew <laughs> that that was not the answer, but like I don't know the answer to it, you know? Because we hadn't seen the scene yet, like because it yeah. was totally different from what we wrote. And even like the dancing, I think was like a it was like a last minute ad. Like right, like even now, honestly, everything felt like a fever dream. I cannot remember how most of these things happen. Uh, but that day we were, I was blocking people in there, and David was like, "Blink, blink, how about this? We do this, and then for later, like, okay, what if I like pan back and forth?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." That, that sounds right. So, you know, there are moments <laughs> like that where we just like, we don't have the answers. We we can do something, but we know by gut feelings that it's not like true, or, like not correct, not the right thing to do, but we don't have the answer. So we just wait until the last moment where like the answer comes to us. Mm-hmm. So there's a level of trust in, I don't know, the process. And, um, and that's what happened. I would say like about like 40% of the time and then 60% of the time it's like oh we already like shot this in like the the week before the actual shoot and we felt like this was this was it or it's just like oh we just put the camera there yeah yeah exactly I mean I think even that scene I mean I was very upset that we couldn't have a fire for selfish reasons just because I that was something that I <clears throat> I saw from the beginning, um, and yeah, I was very upset when we when we weren't able to do it. But I think that scene was also another one where we had shot listed like you know a couple of mediums for the group or like you know some singles for the group. But like again, just ideas that we were throwing out, and you know, again, it just didn't make sense to cut away from anything that was happening in the wide right um and then from a lighting perspective that just makes things a little bit more um cohesive also because you can just light a scene and know that it's only going to take place in this frame so you can get everything really really perfect um instead of like getting everything like almost there as much as you can and then like having to move on to another shot and then having to relight and do all that stuff so um yeah I don't know where the pan came from though I think that was like I I have no idea for that scene I think it's the dance the dance was an improv yeah 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 Yeah. I I think so I I'm not I'm not upset that the fire didn't happen because I feel like I'm happy with what we have now and I doubt I still have doubt like what I would do if we had the fire just saying (laughs) I, I, of course, I'm over it now, but I was upset at the time. But yeah, what are you going to yeah. do, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. You're operating with this, uh, like, really micro budget, but you still have kind of the studio uh, of the school, like the notes and uh, them checking. Oh, in. yeah. Uh, so I guess, yeah. And like, kind of generally, what was the production experience like with, uh, like, in terms of like how long you shot and like how many crew members you had up there uh, I assume you didn't have like a full team of electricians David um so yeah what was no. like the, the like physical production uh experience like uh it was so on my end it was me um uh my gaffer 
and my first AC who also would set up lights. <laughs> so um, basically it was me, the three of us setting all of our lighting up. Um, and we brought all the gear from Chicago in our, you know, like in my, my van basically. Um, so, which is like a half ton van, right? I think our biggest head was, you know, really not that big. It was like, you know, an 800 watt HMI, um, that we barely used, but yeah, I, I'm kind of, uh, at that point I was kind of used to having stuff run like that. Um, because, uh, I mean, of course I'd been on, you know, other sets and everything, um, and seen like some bigger stuff and, you know, no, knowing how all of that works, but yeah, it was, it, we were stretched very thin. Um, but honestly, I think it just adds, I think it just adds to, to what came out of it, you know? Um, because I think when people watch it, they can feel what it was like to be there. And also that it was a huge labor of love um that came from all of that you know and i think that um big crews and bigger budgets have their place you know of course we would have loved more money for this and maybe more people but um yeah it it, it felt very intimate because of that i remember uh the first exterior night scene um and it was really hard and and then there was like I saw like a hot spot on like Jin's forehead <laughs> and I was asking David don't you have another flag he's like yeah there's no more flag we use all of our gears <laughs> so yeah it's also yeah I mean it was it was a necessity type of situation you know um and he, yeah we had to just kind of deal with what we had and i remember in pre-production or like in prep i had you know i had pleaded with ling to not put them there on on the boathouse i was just like please don't put them there please have the scene somewhere else if you can because i can't really motivate a lot of light from there but from there we just developed like another visual theme i think um and uh and yeah but yeah so was a lot of the stuff during the day were you using mostly natural light or uh, how often were or how involved was the it, lighting uh, outside? It was, I mean, pretty much all the daytime uh, exteriors uh, are a product of um, location scouting and like having the privilege um, to shoot, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of those things on my phone and like when we were up there with just the act and having them rehearse in the space and I you know we spent a lot of time going to these locations at different times of day and you know figuring out when the best time of day would be and um, basically you know for like the hike scene for the barn scene for you know all of that stuff it was like we have to be here you know an hour before or two hours before we're supposed to shoot so that we can get to our spot where we're going to put the camera and then rehearse and then do all that stuff so that when that light hits it's like perfect for what we're doing and we don't have to do it as many times basically um so yeah but there there were definitely a couple times where um we went out and it, there was a snowstorm or we went out and it the day didn't look like exactly how it was 
um, supposed to look. And, you know, I don't think I'll get this power as a DP <laughs> for, for a while, but um, I had the call to basically be like, you know, we, we can't do it today. Like, it's just not gonna, it's not gonna work. We either have to shoot something else or we have to rewrite the scene or we have to do something. Right. Um, but yeah, I think shooting wise, it was 14 days or 15 days or 14. something like that. And, and there was probably like two or three days in there that we were supposed to shoot and we just didn't shoot. Um, so it was 14 days, but like some of it was like split up. Like maybe we only did three or four days and then we did two days the next week or something like that. But yeah, that was kind of how it is. I thought David was going to drop the waiting for the light to change pun because that has been <laughs> dropped before. <laughs> that, that was what we were doing also. We were waiting. Yeah. We were waiting until things were exactly perfect, you know? I like especially for um I always talk about this shot but um the shot at the end of the day of the shroom day um that was literally we were set up and there for an hour like ready to go for an hour um before you know and Link kept coming over and being like I don't know is it ready yet like are we are we gonna do it you know and I was like uh no let's just wait for it to get lower and you know and then there's that point where it's like boom we're ready like it's in the perfect spot let's do it yeah. so yeah if i hadn't heard the waiting for light to change joke before i certainly would have tried to make that already but <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah i mean it, it's really gorgeous for uh yeah i mean 14 days and less than that is uh really crazy but it, was that one of the positives of having uh like a fairly limited crew and mostly one location film is that kind of that freedom of changing up days as you need. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I, th I think when you have that little amount of people, it's easier to move them everywhere. Right. Yeah. So, you, you know, we're not talking, we're not talking like five, six, seven sprinter vans with, you know, gear, a grip truck, like all that stuff, the dedicated camera truck, you know, those kinds of things it's more of like, you know, two, three cars and we're going to sprint to this location after we, you know, that, that made it a lot more mobile during the day to just move from scene to scene and do location changes um, on the day. Yeah, that's great. And how long uh, then did like post-production take and how involved were both of you on that? Like, were you involved with the color, David and Ling, were you sitting there every day over the editor's? shoulder or was it more like getting cuts and uh giving feedback so we edited this like super fast because obviously we don't really have a lot of like shots like coverage for for the film and the editor was actually on set with us so he was cutting as we were shooting so by the end of the shoot we already had an assembly i think it was like two hours 40 minutes long or something and i was just like trim it like aggressively and I'm an editor myself so I was like very involved and we we watched this movie like 200 times in like two three months we wrapped the editing like super super fast and then composing and coloring was so painful yeah the, <laughs> was... yeah yeah the the color especially was very painful um the, you know Sam Howells um who is our colorist uh he is a an angel and i love him um for being so patient with us um i think i think we got a little stuck in the color process because we were 
really trying to find exactly what the film was going to shape up to look like um, with how we shot it. And um, it was just a process of trial and error, you know? So I, I want to say we probably colored the film twice. Um, the first initial pass that we had gotten really dialed into was not, you know, just wasn't it, basically. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel like how it was supposed to look. And then we basically scrapped the whole thing and recolored it. Um, so that definitely added a lot of time to the process. Cause I think we were uh, all in all probably coloring like six months, you know, that's not even including like the initial pass that I did on it, which was terrible. I'm not a colorist. I, I, people who are colorists are, are magicians and I don't know what they do really <laughs> other than the fact that they are amazing and they can fix things and they just, the way that they um, augment the image is like next to none, you know? It's like a, a colorist for a DP is like an editor for a director, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I don't like coloring, so that made it hard. Uh, <laughs> the music, I, I also worked on uh, the, the score for the film with like, two different composers of the first one we just quickly realized that they weren't right for the project and then I just asked one of my best friend who's never worked on music for film before who's who uh, who uh, who's a, an amazing um composer and musician but we literally were like just like kind of like kind of walking in the dark like holding hand like trying to find a process that works for us and and we made we did so many passes of of music before we found like the structure for it so um yeah that took that made post last for a long time but what came out of it we're really proud of yeah yeah i mean all the time you put into it is worth it you can tell without all the pain it's really ended up looking and sounding really amazing um and so with the uh, like camera equipment, all the uh, editing processes as well, was that all through the school also? Or is that everyone bringing uh, stuff to the film? Uh, the school didn't give us the camera. Um, I can't exactly remember why that happened. Yeah, I'm trying to recall it. I can't remember it. But we got the lenses and, and all the other gear from from the, the school. Um, but yeah, we got the camera from from somewhere else. But the school also didn't own DePaul. Also didn't own an Alexa Mini, um, and I think that having something a little bit more mobile like that was also very helpful for us to like keep keep everything going right. Because if we had a full on studio camera, and I have one AC who's also doubling as a, a grip and electric swing, it it would have just been a lot to to handle. Um, but yeah. Well, yeah, it's a great resource for sure. Uh, and then, yeah. yeah, when you get to finishing the film, like what's your experience been like, uh, like submitting to film festivals? Like were there certain ones you had in mind? Uh, was there, yeah, like something specific you're looking for in sharing the film? Um, and obviously you've had a lot of success with the festival circuit, but so what's that been like? It's, uh, we definitely had like some kind of strategy, but... I like I'm so skeptical because I, I got so many rejections from like everywhere for my thesis film. So our um 
I guess uh, one of the strategies that we had was like submitting to a lot of Asian film festivals. Uh, we submitted the film when it was not finished first one round. This was in 2021, got rejected from everywhere, slam dance included. And then the next year we submitted again and it was, I remember like it, it got rejected for a while. And then it got into Heartland in National Film Festival, which is happening soon, by the way. Um, and they and I was like, oh, finally. So we had our premiere. It was amazing. Uh, I it was a lovely crowd. They loved the movie. And like all my friends came out to Indianapolis to support. Uh, we had a great time there. And then after that, like there were some waivers, but then we kept getting rejected. And my producer, uh, my my teacher, who's an EP on the project, James, he kept saying, don't worry, this film is not for everybody. And like, you you, you need to, it, it will find its own crowd and a small festivals and who plays more, you know, maybe family friendly and like more uplifting and like kind of more classic, indie films probably will not like take something like this because this requires a little bit more um is a little bit challenging of a film that's what he said and I was like all right all right okay I guess fuck it next film so I was already working on my next short film and one day I remember I was like on an overnight shoot came back uh and but we still like submitted to like other festivals we we didn't give up um so we were so I I was sleeping because it was like it was 1 p.m I woke up um and I got an email from my one of my producers saying that slam dance festival manager is asking for my phone number and I was like okay and like a couple of hours later I got a phone call it's like a whatsapp phone call from like British Columbia Canada um, that's that informed us that we got into slam and I was like is this a scam <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then the the letter um, the the email followed like very shortly and I was like I literally called David and I was like I need to take a walk in the park right now like I I cannot I have to process like all these things and then we went to slam dance and now um, we did play at a lot of Asian film festivals um which is which makes sense to me but also before we I, I I had the impression that you know the film wasn't Asian enough to be considered uh but uh I am very glad that the that the Asianness of the film like comes through and is appreciated like across the board so that was that was really nice and we're heading to some more festivals after this after slam dance, of course, things get so much easier because since you know the critics like the movie, everyone comes to see the movie, like have a different lens, you know, on them. And and yeah, we we can only appreciate that, you know, even though it's unfortunate that, you know, like without the appreciation from the critics and like from like a big festivals, like maybe people are like a little bit like more reserved to celebrate that kind of you know vibe or like pacing and 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 story because it's so small and it's it's kind of mumblecore and and everybody knows that mumblecore is dead <laughs> <laughs>
But is it? That's the question. Sorry. (laughs) You've brought it back. (laughs) Well, no comment. (laughs) And so is the film, uh, are you getting ready for uh, more of a distribution point? Are you still just on the festival circuit for a while? So we have been acquired and we are having our run pretty soon. So we we are with Freestyle uh, Media. And they form a partnership with DePaul, which I think is super cool because like a studio, a, a, a school that has a first look deal with a studio. Like I haven't heard of that. It's kind of it's kind of sick, I think. And um, I like working with these people because they are really championing uh, the film and like us as like young upcoming filmmakers. And we are having a theatrical run in... Chicago and in New York is is one week each um at a festival should I should I say the dates because I feel like yeah yeah maybe maybe this podcast episode will come out after we release the dates it's it's just kind of a secret right now um so we will have the film um at Quad Cinema in New York from the from September 15 to the 21st of this year and Chicago is going to be playing at Jinsen School Film Center from the 22nd to the 28th and then we're going to go to um some streaming platforms in October uh and then uh yeah there will be more uh but, but we still have more festivals to go to and we I love going to festivals and just can't wait to still be traveling yeah, that's amazing. Congrats. And yeah, David, what's it been like for you seeing this film kind of find its audience and uh, start to be recognized uh, by festivals and audiences uh, around the world? I mean, it's like, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> like, it's it's amazing because, you know, up until this point, <clears throat> I had pretty much only made short films. And, you know, like some of some of the shorts that I made before this had, you know, small festival runs, nothing like really crazy major. Um, and I think that the the outlook on feature films is just different. Um, and honestly, like, I'm just happy that people are watching it and rewatching it and reviewing it and commenting on it, because I, I think as a filmmaker, that's all you can really uh, ask for is for people to watch your work and to resonate with it and to relate to it and to get something out of it you know like people people will still come up to me and tell me that um, they've watched it like two times and both times they cried and got something else out of it and I was you know and then I'll respond and be like yeah I cried while I was making it it was really difficult <laughs> you know so it's 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 just that thing of like you know it's this thing overwhelming joy being able to see it um although i can't watch it anymore um in theaters because i've seen it too many times um but uh but yeah i it's the most rewarding thing that you can get um from being a filmmaker is that no one uh no one especially there's not a lot of people out there especially for a film like this that think that it's you know boring which is the most that's even worse than saying the film is bad. You know, I'd rather have someone like say it's terrible and that they would never want to see it again because it's terrible 
than say that it was mid or boring, you know? Um, and I think that that's just really, you know, really special. Um, but yeah, the festival circuit is, it's a whole thing in and of itself, you know? Um, it's a, it's a long roller coaster ride that you, sometimes you know, like what it's going to be like, and sometimes you don't know. So, yeah. You can totally tell that David Reese reviews on Letterboxd. Not as much as Ling does, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> uh, it is it is fun. Those I love letterbox reviews, though. I mean, even if they're even if they're bad, you know, it's kind of like because even if they're bad, it's like you know, you still didn't rate the film, though. Like you know, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's an interesting direct way to get like very immediate feedback uh, from a whole lot of people. Uh, but yeah, that's well, just the so. Thing, the, the other thing I like. Yeah. The other thing I like about Letterboxd too is that they're real people, you know? They're not um you know, like they're not we're not waiting for a review from a critic or something like that. It's it's just someone who saw it somewhere and is like this is what it means to me. And like some people write these giant, you know, paragraphs that could, you know, be very long and it's filled with a lot of thoughts, right? Positive and negative and and I don't know seeing seeing people get reactions from it like that or just like it's it's great you know it's it's reassuring as a filmmaker that you're and you know that you're at least making work that people care about and that people want to watch you know um because that's you know anyone who says that they make films for themselves like they don't they're lying <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it's too expensive and it takes too long <laughs> but it's an expensive uh, hobby to have it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, David and Ling, thank you so much. I've taken up more than enough of your time. Uh, just really congratulations <laughs> on the film. So excited for more people to see it uh, this fall and at other festivals. Uh, just thank you for your time. And I really can't wait to see what you both do next. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. This has been super fun.